Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Sunday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bold, and the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh, welcome back, Adam. I've returned to the glorious England after a victorious <laughs> trip away in Lille. How was it? How was it? It was a lot of fun, yeah. I had, they went to the Switzerland-Albania game, really good atmosphere there, really friendly, both sets of fans. Uh, the Albania fans were brilliant, the Switzerland fans were good. Um, game was, was a good game, to be quite honest, good game of football, red card, a goal. A lot of drama at the end, obviously, with that big chance that was missed by Albania to equalise to, to draw it, draw the game. Um, and generally in Lille, we had, had a really good time. Lille's quite a nice city. Uh, you know, it's quite picturesque and went out for it on a few nights out in this, sort of, I think it was called oh, the yeah. Red Street, oh, the yeah. Rouge something. That, that was excellent. A place called Le Network, if you're in Lille, go and check it out. It's, that's your recommendation, is it? Yes, nice. my, oh, that, that and a place called Base Camp. Both were very, very fun. So you didn't see any of the, the much-reported violence, or you weren't involved in it either, Dave? No, no, I would never be involved in anything like that. Of course I don't not. Know, that's um, but the So we basically were in Lille, and it was fine, absolutely fine. But then uh, Germany, Ukraine is was this evening, obviously, and that was in Lille. So yeah. the atmosphere today was a little bit different. Like It was fine during the day, but sort of you kind of like felt a little bit on edge uh, when we were walking to the train station. So... We basically sat in a bar pretty much all the day watching the football, having a few beers, a few Belgium lagers, which were delicious. Um, and then we saw out the window, we heard a bang, and then and we saw like all these riot police like, get, 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 like gearing up, getting all their kit on, like a guy with the tear gas going. And it was in a square that we'd walked through, basically walked through a square about in the morning, probably around two o'clock, and it was real good atmosphere. There was loads of you know German fans, Ukrainian fans, just in this, you know, in the big, I think it's called the Grand Platz or whatever it was. And apparently that's where the violence kicked off. It was like so we were, well, you know, if we were there a little bit later, we potentially could have got caught up in it. But I don't know. It's just stupidity, and it's things that need to stop. You know, England, obviously, whatever they've done, Russia and Germany and the Ukraine today, it's just silliness. Really, it's stupid. It's a really bizarre situation. I think most people are uh, obviously shocked by what they're seeing because I don't think we're expecting this level of violence really i know of course when you have international football tournaments and lots of fans from different countries coming together everyone's going to have a drink of course they're, they're going to try and have a good time but the violence itself is is, is shocking really i mean uh, uefa now have threatened to disqualify both england and russia from the tournament if there is any further violence from fans um probably the 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 most shocking incident was last night after the england game 
Russia fans appearing to sort of rush at England supporters, sort of breaking through uh, the stewards, as it were, into the England end, attacking England fans, uh, England fans themselves involved in skirmishes with, with Russian fans and police earlier in the day in Marseille. It's not exactly an edifying depiction of fans, it has to be said. And, you, you know, the fans have obviously got the blame to take as well, but UEFA, in terms of the security, have also got questions to answer. I think it's there's, there's two there's two sort of points there. One, the um, you know a lot of the violence in Marseille was was to do with ultra groups attacking the England fans and the England fans you know give it you know singing singing horrendous songs about things and you know it kicking off there. I think the policing's a bit of an issue. Feel that they're really geared up for a terrorist attack. Like they were like armed police around uh, Lille and and Lons where the, we watched the game in Lons. That's where the the actual football was. There were loads of armed police, uh, horses and that type of thing. But it just feels like the you know the football violence that we saw in this country that in the 80s that was crushed by really good policing. It feels like they haven't taken the same thing. Like a really good example. So we jumped off the train. We we got the Eurostar back from uh, Lille today into London uh, Kings Cross and Pancreas, and there were there were police officers holding up signs saying, "Have you been to Lille? Have you been to watch football?" So we, I jumped off the train, and I was like, you know, obviously we we didn't go to the England game. We haven't been in Marseille, um, and apparently that this female police officer was saying that. There's, there's been four guys, four British guys, English guys that are in a critical condition and the French police won't investigate it. So they're going to have to investigate it. It's... So it's, it's mental. And with that as well, so when we jumped off the train, we were, we were getting filmed. So they filmed every single person that got off that train. That's something that um, the English police have done. I've seen it before going with United away that they get filmed because they catch the people, you know, they're basically building evidence so they can apply people, you know, they can apply the banning orders and get these people that quite frankly, don't deserve to be in around football away from the games. So that's something that the French should be doing, things like that. Like, we didn't get filmed at all when we were in France. There just seemed to be no control, whereas they need to do that. Like, why not maybe, you know, pre-tournament, get some of the English police force that have been very good at dealing with this hooliganism problem in the UK over to France just for the tournament? You know, it just seems like they're... They're so, they were so, with the bit when, you know, where it all kicked off in, in Lille today, the noise and whatever, all the, the, the police officer we saw, it just, it looked like a massive overreaction. And quite frankly, there should have been police in that square anyway. Mm. There probably was, but there wasn't enough. It's an interesting one, because obviously you, you've been on the ground um, in Lille, admittedly, not Marseille, but you're sort of mm. seeing the, the stuff there. And the, the reaction, all the reports we're getting on Twitter and on obviously lots of different news websites, so many differing reports and so many complex and, and and diverse situations i mean you talk about ultras russian fans there's reports of french ultras marseille ultras mm. russian england fans russian ultras russian england fans england fans attacking police and like you say there has been some criticism for the police firing tear gas into the crowds to disperse them essentially has been criticized for almost exacerbating the situation I would recommend following Ian McIntosh, who, uh, although he's, yeah. he's obviously left Marseille now, but he's got a very good uh, account of it, uh, both on his Twitter feed and for different articles he's been writing for, for ESPN and, and The Guardian. And he's sort of trying to make the point that it's, it's not all England fans, it is a small minority that are causing trouble. At the same time, you know, the, the, those fans are, are causing problems themselves. But there just seems to be so many issues and so many different factors that have sort of almost lit this powder keg of, of yeah. insanity. Really. It just seems like chaos in the, in the opening days. And you really do need the, the French police to, to get a handle on it. And UEFA, really. Um, so we'll see how it develops in the coming days. Of course, that's all the off-the-pitch issues that have been going on. <laughs> there has been some actual football, though, Dave. 
of course, France winning the opening game uh, against Romania. Uh, yesterday, we had Albania uh, losing to Switzerland, as you went to see. Uh, Wales winning 2-1 against Slovakia. England disappointing uh, in, in a one all well, a disappointing one all draw with Russia, I should say. Um, let's start on England, Dave. Seems they're both English. Um, I sort of tweeted out at half-time, you know, an impressive first half from England. You didn't seem as enamoured with, uh, with the performance. No, I thought England had the ball uh, um, and created a few chances, but they're just the play was just too slow. It wasn't dynamic. There was a massive issue on that right-hand side where Carl Walker was so isolated. Lalana was coming too narrow. Uh, Sterling was coming too narrow. There was no natural width. When you're, when you're playing against a team that's going to sit deep in a low block, you've got to play with width. You've got to open them up wide which, you know, consequently will open up space in the middle because players will be pulled out into the wide areas. Hence, you know, Wayne Rooney will have more space. And I just felt that that England display, it just felt a bit toothless. It felt like they weren't going to win that game. And they had, you know, they did dominate that first half, but they didn't take their chances or they didn't create enough. And it's, I think it's going to be an issue for England and Roy Hodgson. It's, his team is inherently too narrow. And we all know that because there's no natural wingers in there. But then you could still play with wingers with that with the players that they've got there. You know, you just you've got to tell them to stay wide. Do you not think he was looking to to Rose and Walker to bring that width? And they they did whip in quite a few dangerous balls in that first half. But then why don't play? Why don't they play a three five two then? If if the width is just going to come from their fullbacks and their their two uh, you know two of the front three are going to be very very narrow. Um, that should be in those wide areas. Why not play a three-five-two and play go with two strikers? You know, England have a have Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy, who what scored forty plus goals in the Premier League this season. Why not just go with those two up top? A back three of maybe John Stones, Smalling, Cahill, midfield three of you know Rooney, Dyer, Deli Ali, and then the two fullbacks and then two strikers up top. I, that would work, but inherently, I think they won't be able to play that system because they won't mm. understand it. <laughs> um, so th- there's just kind of a bit of an issue here that. The reason why Spurs do so well is because they massively overload that middle space with those three attacking midfielders, get very, very tight to each other. But it it does work because they play, they, they press more and they they're they're more direct than this England side. It was just too much dilly dallying on the ball and Wayne Rooney not being, you know, when Wayne Rooney was involved in the game, it was really good. But it was there was like five ten minute chunks where he just wouldn't touch the ball. And when he's playing central midfield, he has to touch the ball all the time. It did feel like uh, quite a Spursy performance in more ways than one. Um, I think some of the good aspects and also some of the bad aspects. Um, it reminded me of Spurs in that, uh, in certainly the second half of the season, Spurs used to create a lot of chances in games and looked relatively dangerous going forward, failed to take a lot of those chances and later on paid for it, uh, dropping points, whether it be losing the game or, or drawing and conceding a late goal. On that late goal from Russia, it was a good goal, it has to be said. But how much blame do you think lies with Roy Hodgson? Because he got a lot of criticism um, for taking off Rooney, who he says was tiring, um, and for taking off Sterling, who he also said uh, was fatigued, bringing on Milner and Wilshere. Some people accused him of sort of taking the, the sting out of England and sort of, it, it went very flat. Yeah, so what, what he did there was he just took off his, he took the guy that was, you know, Rooney in spells was playing very well and was controlling the game. Um, he's a player that does that for Manchester United week in week, or has done second half of the season, played in central midfield and been comfortable at seeing games out. You take him off, you know, you, it's the mentality thing again, and you take him off and he's, he's the leader. But again, like you're 1-0 up against Russia, you have pacey, pacey players on the bench that you could bring on and play on the counter-attack. You bring on Jamie Vardy, he's going to press, he's going to harry, you're going to be able to play him in behind. You bring on someone like Marcus Rashford, again, he's going to be running. And I felt that, you know, with the, with the changes, it just killed England. It took away their fight and the momentum. 
And it, you know, it was coming. That goal was coming, and it happened. And and it's you know, it's Roy Hodgson's fault, hundred percent. How do you feel going into the Wales game on Thursday? Then, because obviously Wales won their opening game against Slovakia. I was quite impressed by the performance, although uh, early second half it felt like it could have gone either way. Slovakia were making chances. Wales did enough in the end, though. And for all the talk of a one-man team, and we spoke about it beforehand in our previews, uh, being so reliant on Gareth Bale, and obviously the team is centred around Gareth Bale. There were impressive performances from Aaron Ramsey, Ben Davies, and, and those sort of players. Yeah, I think Wales were really good. They, you know, the system looks nice. It, it, it plays to their strengths. Uh, again, it's a three-five-two. I think the three-five-two at the moment works very well in world football. Um, they're very comfortable. Uh, they, you know, they're very comfortable at the back. They've got some decent players in there, but they do have Gareth Bale. He's the X factor. He's something that you know it is. It is all around Gareth Bale, and uh, but then that's good. It's good to have one pivotal point for a team because it's easier to build a team around that. If you have two players that you've got to fit into a system, it, you know, it's harder to create. We've seen Wolfsburg with De Bruyne in the past doing this similar thing where you build it around one and then everything else sort of comes and clicks together. So I really worry for England. You know, if, if that Wales team, whether they do want to, um, you know, control the possession, they can do. And if they want to play on the counter-attack, they could do. And that would be so, so dangerous. You know, Gareth Bale running out at a back three of Smalling, um, Cahill and Eric Dyer doesn't bring me with, you know, doesn't fill me with confidence. Um, from an England perspective, you know, it, it's a feel that Wales have got the system down to a T and England are still under Roy Hodgson have still not found the right way yet. Mm. What, what do you think is going to happen on Thursday? Are you, are you going for an England win or do you think Wales are going to cause us lots of I problems? Think, I think Wales are going to win when England God are going to come third in the group. Hell. It's, I think it's just, you know, one win you're through. Wales are already through. So, you know, if England did nick a draw, they need one more draw and then they've got the three points. Three points will probably get you through in this tournament, which is insane. I'm not too keen on the format. I think that it's a bit too easy to get through the group stages. Yeah, it does feel a little bit easy. It feels um, uh, almost like a foregone conclusion, um, which is tempting fate when it comes to England. Um, what about Albania and Switzerland? Obviously, you were there, as you said. I mm. mean, Albania, obviously, that red guard sort of killed them. Somewhat unfortunate. Not a, a convincing victory for <laughs> <Yeah>. Switzerland. <laughs> but were you impressed by any particular players? Or Yeah, so so Loxana, who got sent off, was absolutely diabolical for the whole game. For the whole, for his whole ah. whatever, 35 minutes he was on, he was, ro- he was rotten. Really rotten. Um, but Switzerland were good. Um, I quite like the, the two Albanians on the left-hand side were quite good. I thought the 15 that dropped into centre-back was pretty decent. Um, he played a lot better than Sana did when he was on the pitch. Um, but Switzerland do look like a good team. They've got the best two fullbacks in the competition, in my opinion, with um, Ricardo Rodriguez, who again impressed me so much. I've seen, that's the second time I've seen him live. I went to see Wolfsburg, Hertha Berlin last season. Um, he was really good in that game. And again, he was so good, so quick, so good on the ball. Um, press when he when he sort of what I like about when he sort of like when he's going to press somebody he'll usually come out with the ball in any situation so sometimes he was catching the Albanian right back really high up the pitch and it was it was really interesting to see that Granit Xhaka was brilliant I thought he had a really really good game controlled things in central midfield his uh, his range of passing is is pretty decent. Again, with Arsenal, the Arsenal midfield, sorry, going away from the Euros, but kind of doesn't feel like Arsenal have signed the player that they need again. They've signed Granite Jacker, another really really good ball player that you, pretty much you want to play him next to a destroyer, and that would work really well. I thought Barami was really good. He dropped between the centre backs nicely. Switzerland just played out from the back, and Bulu when he came on was really good. But the man up front, Stefano Stefanovic, he was absolutely rotten. Couldn't finish the. Same. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. David's life, it was, it was, I think he had three one-on-ones. Um, you know, they got, both goalkeepers did very well. And that Jan Sommer save for the, when the Albanian lad went through was brilliant. But I think um, Mbalo was, was you know, made a really good impact. I think they should start him in the next game. Shakiri was frustrating as always, but, you know, had moments of brilliance. So, yeah, it was, um, I think the Swiss team will do all right in the tournament. They're not going to win it. I think they do lack something. They lack a true number nine, someone that's going to score their goals. Um, but they were they were good. That you know the, the play was quite nice. It was sort of like how England want to play with their fullbacks, but you know Switzerland were doing it a lot better. On to today then. Um, the first game up was Turkey v Croatia. Croatia winning one nil. Uh, Cheeky Nando's uh, tweets in saying, "Who are your dark horses of the tournament?" I've seen Croatia today. I, I was relatively impressed. I think they've got they've got a lot of good players there, a lot of talent, and uh, it all sort of came together for them. Yeah, I think Croatia were really good. Luka Modric had an absolute wonderful game in central midfield. I thought Rakitic was really good. Rakitic was playing a different role. Like, yeah. You know, Rakitic that he was at Sevilla played attacking midfield like he did. He does for the national team, and like, it's, it's nice to see him there again because you forget that he he actually is a really really good ball player. Like when he's got the ball at his feet, he just drifts he drifts past people a little bit like Andres Iniesta. So it'll be interesting to see when Iniesta goes, will Rakitic step up into those sort of, you know, that creative mould and they'll get somebody in to do the running. So, yeah, Croatia were really good. Lovely goal for uh, Modric as well, of course. Uh, is mm. that the best goal of the tournament for you? Uh, Arteta <laughs> assist tweeting in to ask. I've got to say, Ooh. Dimitri Payet was... was yeah, Dimitri Payet was an absolute bang um, Obviously, the Eric Dyer free kick was good. Uh, but I think, yeah, Payet, I'm going to go with Payet. Yeah, I'm with you. Solid bet. Um, also, today we had Northern Ireland and Poland. Poland winning one nil dominating the match has to be said especially in the first half Northern Ireland failing to get a decent effort on target Dave uh, all to play for in that game against Ukraine on Thursday and they, they need a result really they really do I think they were they were very very poor today but I was really impressed being a dark horse question I'm going to go with Poland Poland were really good for me um, I thought Milik was Milik sorry was really 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 good I thought he played that uh, second striker role really well um, scored a goal created two chances won two out of two of his tackles um, had five shots on goal, really good display. Piszczek was good, Krakowak was awesome. But the player that really sort of jumped out of there from nowhere was that um, Kaputska, the lad that played on the left-hand side, 19 years old. But what a talent he was. He looked so confident on the ball, um, you know, actually went a goal. Uh, it was just, it was, it was refreshing to see, you know, a player that I didn't really know anything about sort of just turn it on in this stage. Obviously, he's come into the team because someone else was injured, but he had a cracking game, created two chances, two interceptions, three shots, one, three tackles and 39 passes. So, yeah, some good performances there from Poland, I thought. They, I thought they were good. And I feel that they will kill people on the counter-attack. Obviously, in this game, they had to play with the ball because they're playing against a, you know, a weaker opponent. But on the break, they've got so much pace. And Lewandowski, obviously, the man to bring that all together. He didn't have the greatest of games today. You know, he, 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 he was good, but it wasn't vintage Lewandowski. I thought he was outshined by the two lads that I mentioned just before. Um, so, yeah, I think this Polish side are going to be good. 
elsewhere in Group C, Germany, winning 2-0 against the Ukraine. Uh, lovely goal from Mustafi, lovely header. Bastian Schweinsteiger capping it off, but it looked a little bit shaky. Jerome Poteng had to make a, a pretty spectacular clearance off the line uh, to keep the lead for Germany, while uh, Manuel Neuer made a, a couple of good saves to keep them in it. Um, tweet, a question coming in on Twitter here, Dave, saying, why do you think uh, we've not seen... Sorry, let me ask that again. Question here on Twitter from Gloop, Gloop the Dragon. Nice. Uh, said, still not seen any sides so far who I thought looked the real deal. Germany, France and England are vulnerable defensively. Do you think that's just teams sort of, you know, shaking off any rust, just getting into it, essentially? Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit nervy, isn't it? First game's always nervy at a tournament. But, yeah, I've been surprised how uh, teams that have taken one goal leads haven't gone on to, you know, score three, score two, three goals. You know, Germany's the first time that we've, you know, seen a, a team... Uh, sort of like uh, more convincing, I'd say Germany was. You know, Poland is when they they had the one goal, didn't kill off Northern Ireland. You know, England didn't kill off Russia. But I think it's the consistency, and these players are going to come together. Obviously, France had to score, a, you know, you know Depay had to score a wonder goal to bail France out. So I think it's just the, the tournament will is coming on, isn't it? And these players obviously sort of getting competitive again. Obviously, the friendlies before the, the tournament aren't the most competitive of games. So, yeah, I think it's just going to take time for these guys to hit their rhythm. Yeah. Richard B. LFC tweeting and saying, why do you think there's been a lack of goals so far at a tournament? It does seem to be because, as you say, there's those those nerves there around the first games. Yeah. 13 goals in, in seven games so far. Um, so not the highest scoring. Germany the only team to win by a, a margin of more than one goal mm. so far. Um, elsewhere on the Twitter, the question's coming in. Adam Boatwood. Boatwood. Yeah. Are you joking? Another That's lovely excellent. fake Twitter account. Uh, no team has beaten ever convincingly. All teams are more or less even. Very interesting tournament so far. Jay Necker on Twitter said, best midfield passing display so far. I think Switzerland were really good. I think Zaka was awesome. Obviously, Tony Cruz this evening was was pretty good. Um, I thought Krakowiak, Krakowiak, sorry, really controlled the game. So yeah, and I'm going to go with Switzerland. Though. Really, really impressed with how they were. Some of the the moves that they were putting together very intricate, like four, five, six passes. They're all one touch passes, and you know, lovely diagonal breaking the lines up. Luka Modric, obviously as well, was really good today in central midfield. So yeah, I'm going to go with Switzerland. But I think there's been some good standout performances from central midfield so far in the tournament, which is good. Not going to mention Wayne Rooney there, Dave? Nope, I'm not, Adam. HJD Cornish said, do you think the fan reaction to the England performance is too rash or do we have serious problems? I think I... What side of the fence are you going to come down on that one, Dave? I think it's quite quite funny. One of my mates, one of the lads I went to Lille with, said today, it's kind of an interesting point he raised. It was sort of like, you know, England fans are always inherently negative. No matter what happens, England fans are always going to be negative. And I think that's kind of true as well, in a way, isn't it? There were, it just like, felt no like the way happened, it ended negative. because there was a lot of um, appreciation, I think, for England in the first half because of the way they played, although you might not have been the biggest fan. No. I think people were impressing the England team playing relatively well uh, in the second half. It got, took a while to get going for England, but they, they did have a few good chances. That Rooney chance, which forced uh, a really impressive save from uh, Akin Feeve, I want to say. Yeah, but again, you've got to be putting, you've got to put, be putting that in the corner. Yeah, of course. It's, one of, it's kind of what, what I think that's one of Rooney's weaknesses of his game is that situation. Happens for United quite a lot. That he, he always seems to 
drill it. You know, it all seems to go down the middle straight yeah. to the goalkeeper. And obviously, it was a good save, but it was savable, you'd say. That last minute goal, though, just took all the, the good feeling away, though. It just felt so disappointing. You could see some of the players collapse on the pitch at the end. So disappointing to lose that way. Mm. But I think, you know, I'm relatively confident we can get a good result against Wales. Um, hopefully beat them, because they, they did look susceptible um, against Slovakia. And hopefully that can, uh, can sort of get our campaign off to a bit more of an optimistic mm. start, really. Because it's not been, it's been a little bit muted, I'd say, after after last night. Um, ah, here's an interesting one from Gabriel. Gabriel Woots. He said, "Pianich to Juventus thoughts." Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as I know, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but there are reports that he's going for a medical tomorrow. A uh, thirty million pound clause triggered by Juventus, uh, set to sign in the next week. Apparently, um, you've obviously spoken before of your love for Miralem Pjanic, mm. Dave. Uh, do you think it's a good move for him? Yeah, well, Juventus has been looking for a number ten for probably two years since uh, Allegri came in. You know, they've been linked with Isco, they've been linked with Kevin De Bruyne. There's been um, there's been loads of number tens, James Rodriguez. Uh, but yeah, Pjanic would fit in really well in this Juventus team. Give them another element in their midfield. You know, you've got the likes of Marquisio Pogba, Pjanic. That's a pretty decent midfield. Um, how that if that was how it fit, but I kind of think the Pogba should be moving into that attacking midfield role. So it's an interesting one. But again, Pjanic has come out and said before, you know, we don't know how truthful this is, but he said that he doesn't want to move to Juventus because he'll obviously he's got his connections with Rome. We want to leave Italy, and and the you know the Roma fans are definitely with that. So I hope he doesn't go to Juve just because it will kill his relationship with the Rome fans, being a you know romantic, but. It will be a good move for him and it will take his career to that next level. Finally, and then looking ahead to tomorrow's games is the Republic of Ireland versus Sweden in Group E and Belgium versus Italy also in Group E. Of course, uh, I'm going to be on the TFR live with Lawrence hosting this one, uh, so make sure you tune in. Dave, though, uh, what do you make of this one? Because it's such an exciting group. The group of death, as it's called, Republic of Ireland v Sweden. It's the one game where you feel like Republic of Ireland could get a result. It's a great way to kick off their campaign, potentially. Fuck me, I can't even speak. It's a great way to kick off their campaign, potentially. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, you know it's a, it's a good start for them. I feel this, again, I mentioned before in the pod that three points will get you through. So this is a big, big game for the Republic of Ireland, but also a big, big game for Sweden. I've tipped Sweden to be the dark horses um, in our preview. So I still still believe that. I think, you know, Zlatan in form at the moment could terrorise anybody, any defence in the world, any centre-back, you know, playing up against Zlatan in this form, it would be, you know, be afraid. So I think there'll be too much for Ireland. That is a shame. That's a bloody shame. Big shame. It? I apologise to everyone, all I'm the hoping, Ireland fans out there. I'm hoping. Um, Jonathan Walters looks like he he may be available. He pulled up an injury on Saturday. Uh, Martin O'Neill saying he's hoping Robbie Keane and James McCarthy are available, despite their injuries, which would obviously be a big boost. Well, Robbie Keane's uh, arguable. Um, <laughs> finally, Belgium v Italy. That's the evening game. Uh, the biggest game of the day has to be said. I mean, how do you see that one going? Aiden Hazard limped out of training, but he's expected Ooh. to be fit to face Italy. Oh, it could be, you know, it's that, that could be a bit of a game change, you know, if they do lose one of their stars. Because for me, that's a positive thing for Belgium because there's too many at the moment. I feel like you've got to throw one of those out to get the best out of that side, make, you know, make, build a team around De Bruyne or Hazard, but not have both of them in there. I just don't think it doesn't work for me. Um, but I feel that it's going to be Italy sitting deep, counter attacking. Um, I really want to see Insignia up front with Pella. That'd be good. A bit of Candreva on the right-hand side, Frenzy in there, that back three that we all love and perform. So, yeah, it's going to be a good game. I think Italy are going to win that one. 
Interesting reports that Italy might start with Antonio Candreva and Stefan El Shawari as attacking wing-backs. Bloody hell. What do you, you make of that? That's, that's bold. ballsy. That is bold. <laughs> I like that from Antonio Conte. Yeah, that, that, that would be very, very bold. But um, Conte's that type of guy. You know, we've spoke about the 3-3-4 three, three, before. Maybe he's pulling it out. <laughs> I'm expecting... Well, I'm hoping for a, a big performance from Belgium, essentially, because... I know we're talking about, you know, the, the first game is a nervy affair and they need to sort of shake anything, any rustiness out of their system. We saw that with France in, in the opening game, but I'm hoping Belgium live up to that tag. You know, we're all expecting them to go to at least the semis. <laughs> they won't. Uh, <laughs> but they won't. <laughs> Finally, Spain, Czech Republic, Dave. Um, big things expected of Spain. Looking for that third European Championship in a row. Mm. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I think they'll be they'll be deeps. I think Nelito's the man to watch out for on that left out left wing, cutting in. He'll be the goal scorer, I reckon, for them. Um, you know, going to be an interesting, interesting that game. Uh, not too the Czech Republic. Uh, they don't have the greatest of squads anymore. Um, I think Dockel is it. Dockel's probably their best player created. I think the second most chance in the Europa League this season. So look out for him. But I think apart from that, they don't have much depth and much quality these days. Vicente Del Bosque hinting David de Gea is likely to start in goal despite all the controversy surrounding the alleged scandal, I should mm. say. Um, probably on the pitch, he should be their starting goalkeeper, it has to be said. Yeah, 100%. It's got to be David Gea for me over Casillas. Casillas, again, didn't have the didn't have the greatest seasons at Porto. They were quite poor. Um, you know, it was one in, in Sporting and Benfica with the top two over in Portugal. So, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely start De Gea over Casillas. He's denied all the claims, it should be said. Um, obviously, if they are true, then God. then I despair, to be frank. Yeah, uh, same. It's, uh, it's a pretty bleak situation. What is the situation. world coming to? Um, on that light and happy note, guys, thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you make of the Euros uh, so far on Twitter. Tweet us at the front three with the number, not the word. Hopefully, we'll be back tomorrow night to talk about uh, all the games we previewed here. Uh, for now, though, Dave, if people want to follow you on Twitter and find more of your work and face where should they go so on twitter um search in l-o-z-c-a-s-t um and Lovely. follow 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 that account it's a wonderful account and but oh. i go on to dave talks and check out my Mourinho um video i'm i'm closing yeah. in on ten thousand views on that I video know, which mate. for me is bloody incredible that it's already now though that farm now love yeah that that's day. it man that's what it was the fun um, now changed it adam what about you mate where do we find you on twitter Follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood, B-O-U-L-T Wood. You can also find me on the Football Republic. As I said, I will be hosting TFR Live tomorrow with the main man, Lawrence McKenna. So if you missed him tonight, you can catch his face there. I just want to finish on the fact, Dave, to remind you of our little bet that we had going about Germany. <laughs> what, what are you on about, man? You said that Mario Gomez, Mario Gomez would start. He didn't start, mate. It was Gertz up front, full sign, as I've said. <laughs> I'm thinking about my Nando's order already. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think I'm going to cash in when we do TFR Live on Thursday evening. Okay. Double chicken burger. Yeah. Rice, peas, yeah. halloumi. I want everything. I want all okay. the trimmings. Mate, yeah, it's absolutely fine. That's fine with me, mate. You know, I'm a man. I stick by my word. A man of his word. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So I'm on the front three. 